trust that many of you, as we've been learning on Sunday mornings, that you realize that church is a place to give offerings to the Lord, offerings of praise and offerings of thanksgiving. And don't hesitate to offer to God that which He so rightly deserves and He desires. Amen? And let's just pray now. Everybody lifting your hearts up to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we come tonight and we thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. But we need a fresh touch from you tonight. And we pray that this blessed Spirit of the Lord will settle upon us tonight. And the name of Jesus Christ will be honored, be lifted up. Lord, we're so glad the old account has been settled. Thank you, Lord, for that Sunday morning many years ago when you washed my sins away through the blood of Jesus. Lord, i got a lot to thank you for, and I want to thank you for it. Now, touch us tonight. Work in this service. Magnify the name of Jesus, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of us know this chorus. If you don't, we'll try to learn it tonight. We don't have it on the screen tonight, but it's Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me, Master, Savior, Prince of Peace. Jesus, Get you a songbook, turn over to page number right, right way here 430. Count your blessings 430. We're talking about today, thanking the Lord and counting our blessings and thank you for the things He's done. Page 100, 430. Count your blessings. All the first now. When upon life's billows you are tempest tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. the 
conflict, whether great or small. Do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you till your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering. And it's good to have those that are visiting with us. Good to have Lisa's mom and dad over here in the wing. Good to have them. And, and of course, they come tonight uh, with Joshua. They didn't come with Lisa, but we're glad they're here. And Brother Thompson, Miss Thompson, good to have you with us tonight in service. It's always good to have you up from uh, the children's home, but good to have you here. Let's pray and you give tonight, and the Lord bless you and for your faithfulness in giving. Father, thank you now for the privilege of being able to give to you. Bless the offering now and open our hearts up to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
dying, no more trouble or strife. We will live through the ages by that beautiful tree of life. With some glad tomorrow, with the saints I'll stand. I'll put on my crown and walk around all over God's promised land. Oh, glory. glory, what a wonderful day.
they'd taken her son. Oh, what a heartbreaking time. She knew it was true. She'd watched him die too. She'd heard them call him just a man. Oh, but deep in her heart, she knew from the Let's all stand tonight. Thank you for that, because now we have amazing grace. How sweet the sound. As this choir comes down, get out, folks, and shake hands. It's your opportunity to move about, find those visitors. Not visitors, just shake the hands and let somebody know you appreciate them being here tonight.
Thank you. You may be seated. Do I trust you, Lord? Does the north wind 
I'm glad that we can trust him, aren't you? I want you to find your place in the book of John chapter 4, if you would please. Turn there tonight, John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, give you a few prayer requests I want you to be praying for. And uh, want to be praying for Bobby City. She has surgery this week. And uh, I think she's having surgery tomorrow, so remember Bobby. Also, Gene will be having surgery this week on uh, Tuesday. And he'll be at Erlanger. He's got to have a knee done, so remember Gene. And also, Woody Orr is in Memorial Hospital. I think they had to take him over there today or maybe yesterday, but today. But Woody is at Memorial Hospital, so remember these. And then Miss Hubbard, of course, she's at Tri-County Hospital. Remember her, and then, of course, remember the Roush family. And we've been going through the book of Joshua, and I want to kind of just I do something a little different tonight because at the end of the service, we're going to recognize our faith learners for the fall semester. And we've just com completed our second semester of faith, our fall semester of faith, and we're going to recognize our leaders tonight, and we're going to recognize uh, especially our learners, and uh, we're going to present them with a certificate. They have completed their semester of faith, and for 15 weeks, 15 weeks, they have uh, been at classes every Thursday night, and they've met at 6 o'clock. And for about 40 minutes, they have uh, worked, and they have listened, and they have studied. And then they've gone out for a number of weeks and go out and visiting. And sometimes they've gone out doing opinion polls. Sometimes they've gone out doing ministry visits. Sometimes they've gone out doing evangelistic uh, visits and sometimes doing prospect visits. But for 15 weeks, they have read hundreds and hundreds of pages and they have memorized verses upon verses upon verses and an outline that reaches from here to the back end of that building and uh, they have learned all kinds of things and then had the joy of having an exam and through going through the whole process so they are graduating tonight and we're going to recognize those of our faith teams their leaders and as well our learners and, but you say, why would someone do that? And I want to just take it tonight and take this opportunity to remind you why these people, 13 of them, 11 of them really, two of them backslid on us. Lisa and Brian slipped out of the country and backslid. But uh, uh, why they have dedicated themselves to this and why they have made a commitment. And I would urge you, many of you have already been approached about faith. And uh, you've already been asked by somebody that's been a learner this semester that is going to be a leader next semester. And many of you, somebody's already come to you and said, would you pray about being a part of faith? And tonight I'm going to challenge many of you and hope that many of you will uh, think about it and become a part of faith. And because, I listen, I don't think there's anything that we have done around here in the years I've been here that I've been any more thrilled about or excited about than uh, uh, faith winning people to the Lord. And we've had several people say this semester, if you, if you were in faith this semester and you had the opportunity of taking the Bible and using the faith outline that you have learned this semester and you led somebody to Jesus Christ over the past 15 weeks, would you stand to your feet, please? I want you to stand to your feet. These are folks that led somebody to the Lord over the past 15 weeks. I think you ought to give them a good hand. Praise God for this. Hey, wonderful. It's exciting. 
And, but why would they do this? Why would they do it? And we're going to have as many as six, uh, probably about 17 leaders, 16 leaders next semester. And each one of those leaders is going to have two learners under them. So you're going to see how it multiplies, really, about 15, I think. I'll remember the numbers. Uh, uh, you know, I'm from Palm Beach, Florida. I don't know how to count. Amen? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I shouldn't have said that. Let me get back here. Uh, it was settled at 5 o'clock. We all know that. It was all settled at 5 o'clock this afternoon. But anyway, uh, there'll be a number of you. But again, why has people, and I know that many of you are saying, I hear about faith, but I'm not sure what you're talking about. And you're going to learn more and more and more because as we continue moving along in faith and growing in faith, it's going to become a very part of everything that we do here. Really, faith is Sunday school a Sunday school evangelism strategy. And the ultimate, somewhere down the road, faith would be what Sunday school is all about. And it's every Sunday school class reaching out in a different way. And these folks have gone out in teams of three now for a number of weeks. When they went into a home, somebody gave a Sunday school testimony. Somebody gave an evangelistic testimony. And then somebody took the Word of God and using these little letters, F. A-I-T-H and taught someone how and showed someone how they could be saved. And, but why? It's because these folks have realized the most important things in life. And they have looked at life and they've looked at things from God's point of view and they've realized that there's something very important in life. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Would you stand and let's think about the things that are important in life or uh, the things that are important. Life's important matters. You'll notice in John 4, a very familiar text. I've preached from it before, but I want you to look at it tonight and notice how Jesus talks about what is important. He's talking to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, and he says to them, in effect, now I want you to realize, fellas, this is what is important in life. We begin reading in verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came unto him, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. That is, they began to talk to him. Jesus, you need to eat something. You, we've been going all day long. You've been busy. Master, would you eat something? But he said in verse 32, he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth, and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Thank you. you. May be seated. I want us to look tonight. Jesus talked about three things. He talked about food. He talked about fields. And he talked about fruit. Now, in these three things, food, fields, and fruit... Jesus discussed what is important. 
So let's look at these things tonight and consider what our Lord had to say. Our Father, tonight, we want to thank you now for the past 15, 16 weeks. And I want to thank you, Lord, for these dear folk that we'll recognize tonight that came so faithfully. And they sit in class and they listen and they learned. There were times, Lord, they sit down and practice. And there were times, Lord, that they had to read. And there were times they had to read a lot. And they had to memorize verses from the Bible and memorize an outline. And times, Lord, that it required commitment. The whole time was commitment. And I want to thank you for them. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the people that were led to Jesus Christ over the past semester. And fathers, for many that stood up while ago, this was the first time in their life they ever had the privilege of winning someone to Christ. And Lord, I know the joy that we all shared as we came back and celebrated week after week after week the things that you did. And I want to thank you for them tonight. Father, here's a group of people that has realized what is important in life. And I know, Lord, there are many others in this room that realize what is important. And, Lord, they are very serious about doing the things of God. So, Father, we want to know what is important. So show us tonight from your word what is important. Help us to see what Jesus thought was important. And we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name. We ask these things. Amen. I think everybody realizes tonight that there are some things that ought to be important in our life. We're not just floating through life or should not just be floating through life, but there are some things that ought to be very, very important in the life of every believer. There are some things that every one of us tonight ought to take serious as a Christian. I think about Herbert Welch, a bishop of another age on his 80th birthday. Someone asked him about the secret of his serene spirit. And he replied, as I grow older, life becomes simpler. And life becomes simpler because I see the essentials more clearly in the evening light. You see, there are many believers that have begun to realize and to see what the essentials are. They begin to realize what is important, what is essential from an eternal point of view. I think about a man back in the 19th century by the name of John Wanamaker. And he is a man that saw what the essentials were. And he was a man that prioritized his life around what was important. John Wanamaker owned a department store in Philadelphia. And within a few years, the business had become one of the most successful businesses in the country. But operating the store and the business was not the only thing that John Wanamaker did. It was not his only responsibility. He was also the postmaster general of the United States. But not only did he have a successful growing business... And not only was he the postmaster general of the United States, but he also served as the superintendent for what was then the largest Sunday school in the world. Someone came to John Wanamaker one time and asked him how he could do all three positions at once, having a successful business, being postmaster general of the United States, and being a superintendent of the world's largest Sunday school. And I love the answer that John Wanamaker gave. He explained, early in my life, I read these words. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, the Sunday school is my business. All the rest are things. You see, what John Wanamaker realized was there is the essentials. 
There was the work of God, and everything else was a thing in his life. See, the sad truth is often the reverse is found in our life. Business becomes first. Jobs become first. Pleasure becomes first. And the work of God becomes a thing. That is, everything is important in our life. And when it comes to serving God, we'll do it if we can. We'll fit it into our schedules wherever we think we can fit it into our schedules. Everything else has priority in our life and time, but the work of God is a thing. But I want to say to you that when it comes to earthly matters, they ought to only be things. But when it comes to eternal matters, they ought to be priorities. They ought to be first. You see, Jesus, that's what he was talking about. He's talking to his disciples about what ought to be important in their life. And again, he talked about three things. He talked about a food that was indispensable. He talked about fields that were inviting. And he talked about a fruit that is immortal. And when he gave these three objects lessons or pointed them in these three directions, he was teaching his disciples, now this is the essentials. This is what is important in life. So let me just point these three things out. We'll look at them briefly, but I want you to see them tonight. Look in verse 31 through 34, and Jesus talked about, first of all, the food by which we should live. He talked about food. And he talked about a food by which we should live as a believer. Look in verse 31. His disciples prayed him, that is, they asked him, Lord, would you eat? And he said in verse 32, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Verse 33 indicates the disciples thought, well, somebody's brought him something to eat. But verse 34, Jesus said, my meat, it's not that somebody's brought me something to eat. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, we talk about food tonight. I'm aware that everybody in this room has a favorite food. And when I think about favorite food, I have to stretch it out. It's favorite foods. Can I get an amen right there? Plural, favorite foods. I, there's several things. I don't know what I like the best, but I like a lot of different things. But you want to know what Jesus' favorite food was? You want to know what the favorite food of Jesus was? That reminded me. I hadn't thought about this today. I was watching one of those Joy Boys on TV one day. And uh, what is your favorite verse? And I thought to myself, favorite verse? And he said, Lord, what is your favorite verse? And then he quoted some verse in the Bible that God had told him that was his favorite verse in the Bible. Well, I don't know that God's got favorite verses in the Bible. Can I get him in all of it? It's the Word of God. But anyway, I slipped on that. I digressed there for just a moment. But you know what Jesus' favorite food was? He said in verse 32, I have meat to eat that you know not of. The favorite food of Jesus was not something physical. The favorite food of Jesus was something spiritual. He was not thinking about something that filled his stomach. He was thinking about something that filled his soul. In verse 32, he was telling the disciples, look, you're thinking about physical food. I'm thinking about spiritual food. And he's saying to them, look, there's something more important than physical food. There is this spiritual food. Now, what kind of food is it Jesus was talking about? What is, it, what is the food that we are to live by as a child of God? Well, let me just point out two things about it. Jesus, first of all, described it as the will of God. He talked about spiritual food that was the will of God. Verse 34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You know what Jesus is saying? He was saying that the food he desired was the will of God. 
Jesus is saying, my body is hungry, but my soul desires something even more important, and that is doing the will of God. I want to say tonight, one of the foods that, by which we're to live as a child of God is to say with Jesus, my meat is to do the will of God that sent me. I think about David Livingston. David Livingston once made the statement, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. David Livingston learned something about heavenly food. He learned something about a, a food that was far greater than a physical food. What am I talking about? I'm talking about every believer come to that place in their life where they pray, not my will, but thy will be done. But is it not true many times that the way we pray is not thy will, but my will be done? George W. Truett said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, and to find the will of God is the greatest discovery, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. You know what is so sad tonight? Is there are many believers in the family of God, saved, yes, going to heaven when they die, but they have never tasted the wonderful meat of knowing the will of God and of understanding the will of God and doing the will of God. They have never tasted the meat that Jesus spoke of. But here he said, this food that I want you to understand about and what is important in your life is doing the will of God. Now I ask you tonight, have you come to that place in your life where you said, Lord, I'll do your will? I'll be submissive to the will of God. I love the story of Peter Danica. Peter Danica, the uh, general director of the Slavic God Gospel Association. About six months after he was saved, he attended a missions conference at the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And Paul Rader was doing the preaching. And Paul Rader was speaking on the need of young people giving their life to the Lord. And he even was stressing to them the possibility of giving their life to go to a foreign Field. But with his accent, as uh, Peter Danica said in the crowd that day, listening to Raider with his accent, he, he thought Raider was saying the cornfield. He was saying the foreign field, giving your life, even going to a foreign field. And he thought he was saying the cornfield. And when the invitation was given that night, he was so willing to do what God wanted him to do that he went to the altar and got on his knees and he said, Lord, I'll go anywhere, even to the cornfield, if that's what you want me to do. Are right, you listening to me tonight? That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to eat of this. That is to do the will of God. Whatever it is, submitting your life to the will of God. Jesus, the food he talked about, one, was a spiritual food that was the will of God. Something else he says about this meat. Not only was this meat that of the will of God, but it was also meat that involved the work of God. For he talks about in verse 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was saying that God, and he recognized that God had a will for his life. And that will involved a specific work to do. And the food that he desired was the meat of the work of God, doing what God wanted him to do and finishing the work that God had given to him. Now listen to me tonight. God is not, only, not only has a will for every believer in this room, but he also has a specific work for you to do. Now I believe this. There's not a person of the sound of my voice that doesn't have a place in God's will. God has a plan for your life. 
There's something God wants to do with you. There is something God wants to do by you. There is a place in His will, but there's also a specific work that He has for you, something that He wants to do. I'll never forget reading the story in Charles Allen's book, In Quest of God's Power. He, tell, he told the story of how one Saturday, Dr. Gonzalez of Chicago was preparing his sermon for the following day. His nephew was visiting, and his nephew came in and asked him what he was going to preach on the next day. And Dr. Gonzalez told him that he was going to preach on the statement of Jesus, to this end, or for this end, was I born, from John 18, 37. And his nephew looked at me and said, Uncle, he said, what do you think I was born for? And his uncle said to him, I don't know. And his nephew answered, neither do I, and then simply walked out of the room. The boy later, as he was walking down the street, he heard the fire engines. And he noticed the old Iroquois theater that was burning. And in that fire, more than 500 people lost their life. Many were crushed and many were trampled by the mad rush for the door. But this young nephew walked upon that scene. And he saw a number of people gathered around a balcony window and quickly grabbed a heavy plank, climbed on a building next to the theater, and he laid the plank across to that window. And then he stood in the window, and he helped as many people across to safety as he could. But however, as the young nephew was working, a heavy timber fell on him and knocked him to the pavement below. His uncle got to him just before he died, and when his uncle got to him, his nephew looked up at him and he said, Uncle, for this cause was I born. For this was I sent in the world that I might save these, those people. He realized there was a cause in his life. Are you listening to me? Jesus talked about what is important. Gee, the disciples said, we want to get you something to eat. No, Jesus said, I'm interested in another kind of food. And my meat is to do the will of God and to finish His work. You know what's important in our lives? You know what should be important in our life? Doing the will of God and doing the work of God. Can I get an amen right there? There was the food for my, that Jesus talked about. Look at verse 35. Not only do you see the food by which we should live, but in verse 35, the fields on which we should look. There was the food by which we should live, but in verse 35, there's the fields on which we should look. Jesus moved from talking about food to talking about fields. He said in verse 35, Say not ye, there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Now again, Jesus turns his conversation from eating to the matter of evangelizing. He turns his conversation from the matter of food to the matter of fields. And he began to talk to his disciples about the fields on which they should look. Now, notice what he had to say about these fields. Two things. One, Jesus spoke about fields that were white for harvest. In John 4, 35, he talks about fields that were white for harvest. He said to the disciples, look on the fields, for they are white unto harvest. Now, Jesus was saying that the field was ripe. And when Jesus talked about the field being ripe, he was saying it was time for the harvesting of that field. Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about the fields that were flowing before them, but he was talking about the souls of men that were beyond them. He's talking about a field out there of lost people, a harvest out there that needed to be gathered in. He's talking about fields that were ready for harvest. Now, all around us, there's a field. 
Right here in our neighborhood, there is a field that is white in the harvest. Right here in this area, East Lake area, right here in the city of Chattanooga, right here in Hamden County, Georgia, uh, Tennessee, there is this field that is white under harvest. And we look around and we see there are multitudes around us that have never been saved. Right here in the East Lake community, right around the doors of Temple Baptist Church, there are numbers of young people that have never been saved. There are numbers of moms and dads that have never been saved. And there is a community around us that is filled with people that know not the Lord. They're on every corner. They're on every street. Jesus talked about a field that was white under harvest. And the idea was that if we fail to reach those around us, they will perish. He's saying to the disciples, and when he talked about it being ripe and white under the harvest, it was that period of time, a small period of time, that the wheat was ready to be harvested. And if they didn't get the wheat in during that small wind of time, the harvest would be lost. What Jesus was saying to them, hey, look, the fields are white. They're ready to be harvested. This is our opportunity. This is our time. If we don't get the harvest in now, we'll lose the harvest. I read an interesting story a couple years ago about two men. I'll simply call one of them Walter and the other one Arthur. And Walter one day called his friend Arthur. He said, I want to take you on a ride out in the countryside. And they drove off the main road through groves of trees until they come to this piece of land. And Walter began to describe to Arthur the wonderful things that he was going to build on this land. It's a true story. And he asked Arthur that if he, would, if he would buy the land that surrounded the land so he could get in on the ground floor. He said, I've got the money to build what I'm planning on building, but I don't have the money to buy up all the land around me. And he said, I'd like for you to have the opportunity to buy up all this land. Now, Arthur thought to himself, who in the world is going to drive 25 miles out here in the middle of nowhere for this crazy project this fellow's talking about, his friend is talking about? And he thought to himself, there's no way that he'll ever get off the ground. But Walter went on to explain to Arthur. He said, I can handle the main project myself, but it'll take all my money. But the land that is bordering the project right now will be jammed in years with hotels and restaurants and convention halls to accommodate all the people that will want to come here. And he said, Arthur, I want you to have the first chance on the surrounding property because in the next five years, it's going to increase in value several hundred times. Years later, Arthur would say, what could I say? I thought he was wrong. And I thought this was some pipe dream that would never get off the ground. So I told him that money was a little tight and I would promise I would look into the whole thing a little bit later on. And the author recalled as they walked back to the car that Walter said to him, later on it'll be too late. You better move on it right now. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. But he didn't take it. Arthur, we know his name as Art Linkletter. And Walter... We know him as Walt Disney. And the land that surrounded the opportunity where he's going to build, Disneyland. He passed it up, thought it was crazy, and he missed the opportunity of a lifetime. But I thought I read that story, how we miss opportunities of a lifetime that are around us. And the opportunities of a lifetime that I'm talking about is a field that is white in the harvest. Around us are people that are lost without God. This life... This is our opportunity. Only one life 
to live and will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is the only life I have to do something for God. You don't have a dozen lives to spend six of them the way you want to and then give the other six to God. This is the only life you have. This is your opportunity to do something for God, to be in the will of God, and to do the work of God. Jesus talked about the matter of fields that were white for harvest. But notice something else he talked about. He talked about fields that were not only white for harvest, but fields that were waiting for harvesters. He said to the disciples, don't say, there four months, and then come the harvest. He said, no, 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 no. Don't start talking to me and say, we got time, plenty of time before it's time to harvest. He said, no, no, no. He said, the fields are white on the harvest. That is, right now is the time. We've got this little window of time, and if we don't get them in, we'll not get the wheat in. What Jesus is talking about is the need for harvesters right now. Now listen to me. It's a matter of serving God. You know what the need? I hear folks all the time say, well, people don't get saved like they used to. Now, don't you understand something? You don't blame, you cannot blame that on God. And you cannot take your church history and squeeze it around in this little disposition, this little theory, and come up with a legitimate excuse why people are not getting saved. I'm going to tell you why people are not getting saved. Because there's not harvesters out there in the field getting them saved. Can I get an amen? You see, he's talking about harvest. He's talking about a field that needs harvesters. Jesus talked about food. What is important in life is doing the will of God, being involved in the work of God. What is important in life is recognizing there are people around us that are lost without God, and we've got to get them in. But look at verse 36 through 38. He talked about a third thing. And not only talked about food, talked about what is important, and fields, talking about what is important. But in verse 36 through 38, he talked about fruit. He talked about the fruit for which we should labor. He moves from food to fields. Now he changes his conversation from fields to fruit. And when Jesus talked about fruit, I want you to understand, he's not talking about a golden delicious or a pineapple, but he's talking about the souls of men. He's talking about believers being responsible for someone else becoming a believer. He's talking about somebody that is going to heaven being responsible for somebody else going to heaven. He's talking about fruit. He's talking about rewards, verse 36. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And here is that saying, saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labor and ye are entered into their labor. He's talking about fruit. Now what does he say about it? A couple of things I'm through. He talked about the rewards of this fruit. He said, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. I want to tell you something. Serving God and living for God, doing what is important, that is being in the will of God, doing the work God's given you to do, seeking to win other people to Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to me. There's a payday down the road. If you don't want to do, if you don't want to eat the food Jesus talked about, and you don't want to look on the fields like Jesus talked about looking on them. When you get to heaven, there will be no reward. God's not going to give you a reward for how good you sing. God's not going to give you a reward for how high you jump. 
God's not going to give you a reward for how loud you shout. God's not going to give you a reward for how much you run. God's not going to give you a reward because you fill a position. God's going to give you a reward because you saw what was important. You saw what was important, the will of God, the work of God, and you saw a field and you went out and tried to win people to Christ. That's what you'll get paid for down the road. There's a payday for working for God. When this life is over, you strive to win people to Christ. Somewhere, God is going to reward you. I remember reading here, back, I remember when, back a few years ago when the senior citizens, you remember we were in Washington, D.C.? And we couldn't go into Washington Monument because it's been renovated. About a $500 million renovation. But during the renovation, I remember reading about it, some workers removed some marble wainscoting. And they found some graffiti on the walls that dated back to the 1800s. And here's what the graffiti read. It wasn't anything bad. It wasn't anything dirty. But when they moved, removed this marble wainscot, this is what they found on the walls. Going back to the 1800s, somebody had wrote these words on the walls of the Washington Monument. These were the words. Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul, erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. And it was signed B.F.B. No one knows who B.F.B. was. But I'm told that if you visit the monument today, you can view the graffiti that was covered over when it was decorated at the turn of the century. And again, on the walls is the words, whoever is the human instrument under God, and the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. I'm going to tell you something. You folks that live for God and serve God and honor God and do the will of God, they may not put you up an 800-foot monument in Washington, D.C. They may not put a statue on the end of your street marking where you live. They may not put your name on a sign somewhere, but when you serve God and do the will of God and win others to Christ, you are erecting a monument to your name far greater than one than Washington Abraham Lincoln may have. You're talking about reaping a payday in heaven someday. He talked about the rewards of this fruit. We not only talked about the rewards of this fruit, we talked about the requirements of it. We talked about it in verse 37. One soweth and another reapeth. He was saying the requirement of this fruit is there's got to be a joint effort. And there's got to be a cooperation among the people of God to get the job done. Jesus said somebody's going to sow and another's going to reap. And when you looked at over that harvest that day, there was no way that one person could get that harvest in. But Jesus knew if he had a number of harvesters, they could get the harvest in before it's too late. And you look at the need that is around us and the work of God, the work around us and what must be done and the people that need to know Christ. One person can't do it. Two people can't do it. But if a number of people join hands together and a number of people said, I am going to find my place in the will of God and I'm going to find out, I'm going to, I'm going to take what is important in my life and let it become the important thing in my life and all of us join hands together and everybody got involved then we might have a chance at getting the harvest in before it's too late. One soweth, another reapeth. Everybody coming together. Never forget the story. I heard Brother Burgess tell this story years ago, back in the early 70s. And he told this story right here one Sunday night. I've never forgot this story. 
about a young girl that was lost in one of the large wheat fields of Kansas. Parents, neighbors, everyone, anyone that was available searched and searched for this young girl. And they knew they had to find her before it became dark because she'd freeze to death out there in the cold, the cold nights of the plains. But they searched and searched and searched and all was in vain. Still, the little girl couldn't be found. They were looking everywhere. Finally, someone came up with the idea in the early morning hours of joining hands together and forming one long line and walking across that large wheat field. And so they began to walk, holding their hands, and it wasn't long that someone cried out, Here she is, over here, here she is. But when they got to her, it was too late. The little girl had died during the night. But the mother sat there holding the lifeless body of her little girl in her arms, cradling that body and rocking back and forth and crying to those that were standing around, Why didn't we join hands sooner? Why didn't we join hands sooner? Why didn't we join hands sooner? I'm talking about everybody doing the work of God. Why? Everybody realizing, hey, look, if there are things important in our life, job is important. I cannot minimize how important your job is and your career and, and these things. These are things in your life. They're important parts of your life. But what is important? What is important above everything else is to realize this Life is not all there is. One day we're going to close a book on this life. And there is another life to come. And what will matter then is whether or not, first of all, have you been saved by God's grace? And then, have you done anything for the one that saved you? Is there anybody that will be in heaven one day because you worked and served God, I submit unto you, that's what is important in life. That's what's important. Food is important. The spiritual food is important. Fields are important. And fruit is important. Those are the essentials. Mark them down in your heart. That is what is important. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'll look at me for just a moment. As I said a moment ago, we've had just completed a fall semester of faith. And again, I want you to understand something. And I will not paint it any other way. I, I don't want to deceive you in any way. Faith is a commitment. And you can ask anybody that goes through faith. It is a commitment. Because it asks you to do some things. And it requires something out of you. And if you don't give the commitment to it that you have to, it's not going to benefit you one iota. But I'll promise you one thing, that a person that goes through it and makes the commitment that's necessary, their life will never be the same. I want you to do something. In fact, I'm going to show you a little clip. It's about a two-minute clip, a little video clip. And I want them to get ready for that right now because I'm going to show that in just a moment. And as, they, as we show this little video clip, I want our faith leaders to come. And I want our faith learners to come. Just find your place right here on the front row. All of our faith leaders and all of our faith learners. If you would, I want you to come. Rick, if you could get these lights over here, please. Is Rick in here? Did he slip out? There he is. I thought maybe he'd gone out to smoke. But anyway, if you'd come over here and just flip those lights off. And you folks, just find your seat on the front row. This is about a little two-minute clip about faith. 
And I promise you, every person here, this could be their testimony that's gone through faith. Hi, my name's George. You know, I've been going to church my whole life. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old in vacation Bible school. And I've always known that sharing the gospel is really important. But I guess I always felt that God could use someone else better than he could use me. Then I went through faith. Faith is an evangelistic training system that teaches people like me how to share the gospel in a non-threatening manner. One of the best things about it is that faith is built around the Sunday school. We get to visit people our own age who would be in our Sunday school class. We build relationships. We share Jesus. We become a family. I've seen people's lives change, and I don't just mean the people we visit. Faith has changed my life, too. You know, I began faith training because, well, everybody else was doing it, and I didn't want to look bad. But now, sharing my faith is actually becoming, well, normal. Imagine that. Only God could make that happen for a guy like me. Maybe you should consider taking another step in your journey of faith. back on there. I'm sure that every one of these people down here now that you see uh, would testify the same thing. Of course this character up here if you go through faith you get real familiar with George and he becomes a real special person in your heart through 15 weeks of faith but uh, it's a blessing. I want our faith leaders this past semester to stand and if you would, all of our faith leaders, I want you to stand. These are leaders, and when I talk about faith leaders, these are people that have actually gone through a semester of faith or they've gone through a clinic, a faith clinic. Uh, I myself have gone through a faith clinic. I went through Mobile, Alabama, the faith clinic. Uh, Terry, we sent him right after he was put on staff here at the church. We sent him down to Decula, Georgia. He went through a faith clinic. Of course, when Brian was here, we sent him locally to a faith clinic. But the rest of these have actually gone through a semester of faith, a total of 16 weeks, and through the whole program, and they came out, and they come back this semester teaching people what they learned in the first semester. I want you to give all of our faith leaders of the fall semester a good hand. I'm proud of you, and I thank God for you. And I want you, 